You may be seated. As you do so, I invite you to grab your Bible and turn with me to the book of Genesis. This morning we will be continuing our study of Genesis chapter 26, our passage this morning beginning in verse 25, verse 26 actually, and then going to the end of the chapter. This is, of course, a a second look at this text. This really is a two-part text. Last week we started it, uh, really focusing on Isaac and his interactions with the people of Gerar. Uh, If you go even further back to the start of this chapter, you remember there's a famine in the land that causes Isaac to leave his place where he and his family were living. He sought refuge in the city of Gerar. God promised to bless him there to multiply him, and to care for his needs. However, Isaac got there and fell into the sin of his father. Um, He tried to pass his wife off as his sister. He almost brought about sin upon himself and upon the people. I was rebuked from that, but then he repented, and God blessed him, and God grew him, so much so that the city became afraid of him, and they cast him out and said, you can't reside here amongst us. You must live in the valley. You cannot be amongst our people. And then as he had opportunity, he went to grow and to rebuild, to strengthen his own um, state of being by replenishing the wells of his father. That caused conflict. As the herdsman said, we want those for ourselves. You cannot have them. And so again and again, he dug a well and he was shut down. He dug a well and he was shut down. He dug a well and he was shut down. And we get to the point right before our passage this morning where he digs a well and no one lays a claim on it. So he makes an altar, he makes a sacrifice, he worships his God, and God says, and I will bless you. And that's where we will pick up today that indeed he was blessed in ways that we couldn't even understand or imagine, and in strange and unique ways. But all throughout this, really what we have been seeing in this chapter, chapter 26, is that following God's path, God's plan, God's providence for our lives is the way to peace. To know peace is to know God's plan, God's will. And so would you please follow along with me this morning as we begin in verse 26 and read to the end of this chapter, continuing that thought, that idea that knowing God and trusting in His plan promotes peace. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar, with Ahuzah, his advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his army. Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, Let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm. Just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and sent you away in peace, You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths. And Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. That same day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, We have found water. He called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. When Esau was forty years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beer, the Hittite to be his wife, and Basemeth, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they made life bitter 
for Isaac and Rebekah. The grass may wither and the flower may fade, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Would you please bow with me as we go to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessing upon this time. Oh Lord, we have heard your word. There's much truth in it that is good for us this day. And so, Father, I plead with you this morning that you would open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts, that you would send forth your Spirit, that we might receive this Word, and as my brother Matthew has already prayed, that we might rightly discern its truths. We need you, God. We live in a society. We live in a time. And if we're all honest within ourselves, we are in turmoil, and we desperately need peace. And this can only come from trusting and resting and hoping in you. And so, Lord, would you bring us assurance that you are good, you are our God, and you care for each and every one of us this day. I pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. We live in a time that it can be difficult to discern what God's plan is for our lives. I'm sure you've had situations, seasons, moments, occasions where you found yourself wondering, God, what are you going to do here How are you going to work this out? How could this be for your glory and for my good? We often don't pick it. We often don't plan it. We often don't ask for it. And yet the Lord provides that which we need. You know, uh, when when thinking about that, what came to mind was what took place for the Jewish people uh, around AD 70. You've got Jerusalem, and you've got the the Romans, and they come, and they ransack Jerusalem. They destroy the temple, and you think about it like a hammer, a hammer falling on the city, and as the hammer falls, the pieces are scattered. Think of a sledgehammer crushing a rock or a brick. And that's what happened for the Jewish people. They were scattered, flung out, cast off in all sorts of directions. Now, let's be clear here. That was an evil act. That, That was terrible and wicked to attack the people in such a way and to, to, to violently persecute them in such a way. But, again, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have asked for it. They wouldn't have said, oh yes, Lord, please destroy us in our city and our precious temple and our, our hope of uh, things being restored. But, pick up the book of Acts. And then from there, read the rest of the epistles. What happens as a consequence of that action? Jesus, Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you and lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. They got scattered, and then what happened? They, got, they, they, they entered new communities and new towns and new villages and interacted with new people. And what did they take with them? The gospel. So this, this wicked event, this shattering of this people in their home, the scattering of them as a people led to the scattering of the gospel. So again, I don't think any of them would have said, oh Lord, please create this chaotic event in our lives. But looking back on it, and we as, as, as post-New Testament Christians, in that the New Testament has been written before our time, we go, thank you, Lord for this wonderful and unique and bizarre situation. It is often after the fact that we can look at God's providence clearly at hand. And sometimes, if we're honest and we need to be, it may not be till we get to heaven that the Lord goes, and here's what I was doing then. Here's what I was doing in that situation, in that time, in that season, in that difficulty. 
But what we do know from our passage this morning is what the Lord was doing in the life of Isaac. Isaac has sinned in lying about his wife. Isaac has been blessed in the growing of his state. Isaac has been persecuted by the herdsmen. Isaac has had an oath violated by Abimelech that was made between Abimelech and his father. And yet through all of it, God's plan was being revealed. And what we see this morning is that plan being revealed. We see the conclusion going, oh, that's what you were doing, God. And so I want you to look on the passage this morning with awe, with wonder, with excitement, where you go, oh, that's what you're doing, God. And so I want us to, as we consider this text, look at a few lessons. There will be peace in our lives when we trust in the providence of God. There will be peace in our lives when we trust in the timing of God. There will be peace in our lives when we follow the plan of God. And so let's consider each of these in turn, uh, beginning with God's providence. And to understand this and, and really get a sense of it, and, and, and bless you if this is your, your, your visiting today and this is your first sermon in this series, uh, we've been walking through the book of Genesis. I want to take us back, because if you just heard today's text, you may be going, where are we and what is going on? So let's walk back for a moment. Let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 20. Genesis chapter 20, we've got a man that's widely known. His name is Abraham. Abraham comes into a city, and he has a very beautiful wife named Sarah. We're told again and again that she is very beautiful. She's very attractive. Abraham is scared that he would die because his wife is so pretty. Not a good thought line there. And so he says the solution is to pass her off as my sister and then she will be spared and I will not be killed. Terrible idea. Bad, bad, bad idea. Let's call it sin. Let's be very clear here. And Abimelech takes her and then the word of the Lord comes to Abimelech. What wickedness have you done? You and your household will be destroyed for this sin that you have brought upon them. We know that God closed everyone in his household's wombs. We know that God closed, closed, the, closed the wombs of the animals that were in their vicinity. And God promised fiery destruction unless this was not rectified. Abimelech confronts Abraham. Abraham admits his sin. Abraham prays for Abimelech. God hears his prayer, restores the people. And then Abimelech blesses them and then sends them on. And says, you can live wherever you want. What you want is yours. Just leave me alone. Chapter 21, Abraham and Abimelech get in an argument. Abraham comes to Abimelech. Hey, Abimelech, you said I can have what I want. Wherever I want is mine. Uh, I've got some wells over here that I dug with my own hands, and your people are saying it's theirs, but it's really mine. So they make peace. Now, let's go back to our text. And that peace was contingent not just on Abraham and Abimelech, but on their descendants into perpetuity. So it was supposed to be a peace that lasted forever between Abraham's descendants and between Abimelech's descendants. So now we find ourselves in Genesis 26, where Isaac has lied to Abimelech exactly like his father did, potentially caused harm to himself and to his people. There's a history of feuding between these two parties. These would not be friends. You, you, Isaac wouldn't have gone to Abimelech's and said, when's dinner? 
You know, I'm coming over when, when, are, we, when are we gathering for a meal? This would not have been a, a, a peaceful arrangement. But, to be fair, Abimelech has dishonored the oath, the promise that he made with Abraham. He has shunned his son, Isaac. He has feuded through his herdsmen over the wells that did not belong to him. And now, all that transpired, and what happens but Isaac's working one day, and then marching up comes Abimelech, his chief ruler, and his lord of his army. And you're like, what is going on? What is about to happen? Isaac is, is, is rightly anxious or nervous. He says in verse 27, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? I mean, think about your, your bitterest enemy, your, your bitterest rival, the, the, the one who has caused you most grief and, and worry and pain in your life. And imagine them marching up to your home with, with, with armed officers and guards and just showing up like, Hey, how's it going? You're like, Whoa hold up, what are you doing here? That's, that's what's happening here for, for Isaac. And here's the response. And, and this is, I would almost call it unusual if it didn't happen so much in the Word of God. I think of the, the story of Jonah. This is, this is the response, not what you would expect. Abimelech says to Isaac, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us. Let us make covenant with you that you will do us no harm, just as we've not touched you and done to you nothing but good and sent you away in peace. Not exactly true. You are now the blessed, blessed of the Lord. Your bitterest rival, your enemy, one who your father has dealt with, poorly with, one who you have dealt poorly with, one who has run you off and neglected covenant and neglected promises, comes to you and says, the presence of the Lord is upon your life. We must make covenant and we must have peace. Can you think of a more out of, out of left field kind of, kind of response? Like really, there, there's nothing that could be more out of line with our natural tendencies, our natural inclinations than this. Abimelech comes humbling himself I must make covenant with you. He's submitting himself. He's putting himself beneath Isaac in this language. He's saying, the Lord has been with you. You are blessed of the Lord. He emanates. Isaac emanates what a follower of God should look like. Isaac has lived with integrity, except for the issue with his, with his wife and then later issues um, preferential treatment over Esau. But he, he has lived with integrity. He has served the Lord. He's followed the Lord. And it's been so evident. Again, think about this. His greatest rival says, you are a man that follows God. The presence of the Lord is upon you and upon your life, and it is clear to me whom you serve. And because of that, we must make peace. That's the Lord's providence. It, it is only by the Lord's providence that our rivals can become friends, that our enemies can become our supporters, that those who hated us can become those who trust us and care for us. Um, I, I forget where the quote came from. I, I should have written it down. Um, but there's this beautiful quote I read this week. I said, the beauty of the gospel is like this. Paul entered into heaven to the praise and cheering 
of the very people he martyred. Think about that. That's how God's providence works. Saul slaughtered Christians. And those very Christians, at his conversion and at his entrance into heaven, praised God for his life. That's what the beauty and the power of the gospel does. God's providential plan, his sovereign plan over everything in this world and in our lives, it does things that defies logic. It does not make sense from a worldly perspective. We see that they did indeed make um, a, a contract, a, a covenant. In the morning they rose, they exchanged oaths, and then Isaac sent them on their way. And I, I want you to catch this. Remember, our, our, this series is on peace. They departed from him in peace. There was peace between these parties. By Isaac living in such a way that he trusted in God's providence in not attacking Abimelech, which he could have done, in not demanding his rights, which he could have done, in, in not showing his faults and his failures, which he could have done, but by waiting on the Lord, there was peace between these two parties. And let me just say this morning before we move to our second point, this can be a difficult lesson for us. Situations often don't work out in our lives. We don't get the job we're looking for. We miss a flight. We forget our child's school-filled trip. The medical report comes back with the worst-case news. In these moments, it can be hard to trust that God is good and that He will provide that which we need. But I hope you'll listen to someone who, at, 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 on one day in particular, his most rivaled foe with his army and with his leaders marched up to his door and said, We've got to make peace before the presence of the Lord today. The Lord worked in the life of Isaac and Abimelech, and the Lord works in our lives today. And so we're called to trust in His providence. We're also called to trust in His timing, which can be challenging as well. And we, we see this as we continue in our text. Look with me to our second point. And here, once again, we need to go backwards. Let's take a step back to the beginning of the chapter. Up there at the top of 26, there's a famine in the land. Isaac got here to Gerar and then the valley of Gerar because of a famine. And when there's a famine, there's little food, there's little water, there's little supplies. You are worried about going hungry. And that especially affected farmers and shepherds and um, people who dealt with cattle and people who tended animals. I think some, to this day, some of the people I know that pray more and pray better than anyone I have met are farmers and shepherds and those who care for cattle. Because if the Lord does not provide, there will not be crop. But Isaac goes to this place to find nourishment for his family. He goes to this land after being kicked out of Gerar. He's dwelling in the valley. And he says, oh, I'll solve this problem. I'll redig the wells that my father dug. Now, why are they filled in? Well, because the people hate him. And they probably did it out of spite. I'll redig the wells. And so he digs a well. And if you remember, he digs one. The herdsmen come upon him. Oh, no, that's ours. You can't have it. Well, Isaac knows whose it is. He's naming it the name that his father gave it. And by right, by oath, it should have been his. But he doesn't push. So he just backs up a little bit. He digs another well. Whoa, 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 that's ours. That, that, we put that there. You can't have that. 
Okay? A third time, he backs up and he digs another well, and that one was not contested over. So he, 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 plant, he, he, he builds an altar, he, he praises God, he, he acts in worship and in faith, and then he digs a fourth well. And I want you to think about something. Isaac dug that well, right, the, at the, uh, verse 25, and then he has this, this uh, dispute with Abimelech. Isaac dug a well he didn't know was going to produce water. What do we call a well that doesn't produce water? A hole. What are they good for? Certainly not feeding and caring for your animals. They got uses, but not in the way that it was needed. They dug the well in faith, not knowing the result. And then we get this interlude between Isaac and between Abimelech, and it's only after this is completed that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug and said, we have found water. Again, a hard lesson for us, isn't it? I, I've, I've taken to, to wanting to memorize Psalm 46, the whole, the, the, all of it in its entirety, but I've already got the one verse, and it's one many of us may know. Be still and know that I am God I will be exalted amongst the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Feel free to call me out later because I just told you I can memorize it and then I looked down and read it. But that's a... <laughs> you can talk to me after the service. I wanted to make sure I quoted it right. Be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted. Boy, isn't that hard to do. Isn't it hard to say, God, your will will be done. I will trust in you, rest in you, hope in you, wait on you. But that's precisely what Isaac displays for us here. He, he displays a maturity. He displays a, 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 a resting, a confidence in the Word of God and God's timing. He goes and he deals with, with Abimelech. And even with Abimelech, and there's peace, that's great, but they're still hungry. They still need water. There's peace between those two people, but that still doesn't provide for their needs. And it's after that, by, by waiting and resting and hoping and trusting in the Lord, the servant comes, we have found water. And then Isaac, um, he, he kind of complicates things a little bit for us textually. He calls it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. <laughs> really quickly, let's untangle this. Pastor Aaron, isn't there already a city named Beersheba? Yes, there is. Okay, so why would him, him naming this well Sheba affirm or confirm the name of the city? Okay, let's, let's do this. Sheba which can be literally translated to the word oath, is a phonetic cousin to Beersheba. See the word in there? They're connected, similar roots. What does Beersheba mean? Oath. What does Sheba mean? Oath. Who named the city? Abraham did. Who named the well? Isaac. So what does it mean? Abraham was fulfilling God's divine calling upon his life. It all, you can take it all the way back to the garden, have dominion over this earth, subdue it. Isaac then, acting like his father, confirms he is the descendant of Abraham. He is the chosen son who will fulfill 
what his father, what God had promised his father. He will continue the legacy. How do we know it? Because he, like his father, declares that is what it shall be named. The city is named Beersheba, so is this well. I mean, I guess that could get kind of confusing. You're like, I'm going to Beersheba, the well or the city? But we don't have to worry about that. But this is the testimony to God's hand upon Isaac, his ability to, to declare, this is what this shall be called. God's plan provides peace for God's people when we rest upon his timing. But what happens when this is not the case? What is it like when instead of trusting in the Lord, we trust in our own ways? And instead of trusting in God's ideas or God's plan, we trust in what we think is good and right. Well, we actually get a uh, case of that here in the conclusion of our text. Look at the last two verses. And as you look at it, chapter 26, beautiful chapter on resting and hoping and trusting in God. You have the unfortunate story of how Isaac sinned at the beginning and the, and the trouble and the worry and the anxiety that that caused. He repents. God blesses him. And then here at the end, you get a story, an unfortunate incident um, with Isaac's son, Esau. It says, When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Biri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemuth, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and for Rebekah. Now, we need to remind ourselves, God has promised to bless Abraham and his children and his children's children and his descendants. He will number them as unto the stars. They will be a people who trust in him, hope in him, rest in him, and fulfill his promises for their lives. Now, Isaac's got a tough lot here because he's got two not that great choices, Jacob or Esau. But it's clearly not Esau. <laughs> it's like, I could work with the other one, but it's not Esau. Because what does it mean to be the child of promise, to, to, to fulfill this covenant, to fulfill this hope? Well, first and foremost, you've got to trust in God, the God of Abraham, the God of your fathers. You've got to hope in him and rest in him and rest in his word and in his good news. Esau does not do that. We know that from two instances right here. One, Abraham was very clear. And if you remember, we read, it was almost, um, almost two chapters worth of information where Abraham sends a servant off on this month-long journey to go find a wife for his son because he did not want his son to marry any of the villagers that were around because they did not trust in the God of Abraham. We don't know if it's a failure on Isaac's part or a failure on Esau's part, but Esau finds a wife, wives, from those in the city. He does not listen to the wisdom of his father, whether it was given or not, or his grandfather, but instead he, he marries those of the village that do not worship the God of Abraham. And then two, and I want to be very clear about this because there, there's been a, uh, this has not always been explained well or stated well. I want to state this very clearly. Having multiple wives is a sin, period. And it doesn't matter which patriarch it was. It doesn't matter what point in the biblical narrative it was. It is a sin. 
And it is just shame on us when we do not explain that clearly and plainly. We do not encourage it. We do not promote it. And every time it causes problems. There, hopefully I, I, I drove that as hard as I can. We know that because over and over and over again in the biblical account, we are told the design for marriage, God's commands for marriage, the consequences of not listening to Him in marriage. One of the wisest people ever to exist had so many wives, he didn't know what to do, and woe is his life because of it. Esau rejected the God of his fathers. Esau rejected the commands of God on how to take a wife. And because of that, again, this just breaks my heart to read. They, Esau and his wives, made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. So what does it look like not to trust in God? What does it look like to not listen to his plan? What does it look like not to rest in his promises, his providence, his timing, and his path? It looks like bitterness. It looks like unrest. It looks like unhappiness. What will the Hittites become? The Hittites will become some of the most rivaled people of the people of Israel. Some of the most hated enemies of the people of Israel will come through this line. My hope for all of us this morning as we read this text and we really get two scenes here. My hope is that all of us rest in God's plan and His promises and His providence and His timing. We hope and trust in Him that He is good and He is good to us and He is good for us. And when we stray as we will, that we bring or brought back. We repent of our sin. Abraham's sin, he was brought back. Isaac's sin, he's brought back. That we don't wander further off, but that we come back to the Father. I pray that we do not look like or live like or act like Esau, who strayed and went farther and farther and farther away. And maybe that does describe you today. Maybe you're here today and that is the case for your life. And if that is, if, if you are in a state of turmoil, if you are in a state of chaos, if you are in a state of, let's see how far I can get from God, how's that working out for you? How is your life? Do you have a lot of peace right now? I doubt it. I seriously doubt it. Well, let me give you good news. You can have peace by submitting yourself to the King, to the Lord, to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Maybe you are a believer this day. Maybe you are trusting and resting in God. And maybe you are anxious. And maybe you don't have peace. And maybe you are in a state of worry, anxiety, fear, uncertainty. How are you doing at trusting in God? Often is the case when we're in a state of, I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what's going on in my life. I'm not happy about it. We're not doing that which he's told us to do. Hear my word. Receive my word. Hope in me. And you will have peace. The greatest gift I can give to any of you this day, what I cling to more than anything else. I mentioned it last week, and I'm, I'm stealing it from Pastor Nathan Curry. To know God, K-N-O-W God, is to know peace. Coincidentally, no God, N-O God, there will be no peace. The only path to peace is trusting in the Lord. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, this is one of those messages, this is one of those passages that it is important that we preach it. But if I'm honest, Lord, if I don't preach it to my own heart and my own life first, 
I have failed these, your people. Far too often I live in a season of uncertainty. I let worry and doubt and anxiety and fear rule my life. Mainly because I forget you are a God of peace. And by trusting that you are God, you are good, your timing is perfect, and you have never left us nor forsake us. I open myself up to the worries of this world. For all of us here this day, whether we know you and are worried or don't know you and are fearful, or maybe we're in a season of full confidence in you, Lord, may you all the more impress upon us the need to know God that we may know peace. Lord, thank you for your word and thank you for this day. We ask you bless it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.